0: Meg, how great thou art. Uh, Sometimes great is thy faithfulness. Yes, great is thy faithfulness. That woke you up quick, didn't it? How great thou art is pretty good too, but that's pretty close to it. Thank you, Meg. Boy, I won't double cross your hymns next time, all right? So (laughs) let that be what it is. That's, you guys are on top of it, man. That's a, whoo. Well, uh, I hope you're on top of Mark chapter 14. Amen. Now you all are turning quick. I see it happen. I'm just kidding. Well, thanks, Meg. That gave us all a shot of adrenaline there. So good. I always try and guess and I'm not doing too hot. So that, that just shows even worse. Well, thank you, Meg. As always, well, turn to your Bibles, Mark chapter fourteen, uh, as we continue the study, guys. Nine Mark sermons left. It's like counting down the days to Christmas in a good way, of course. Nine sermons left. We are covering more verses today than we did in some sermons over weeks. So just keep that in mind. So we're going there. Uh, we are. We have this week in Mark chapter fourteen. Next week is Peter's denials and. Just as you're turning, just reminding you why we're doing this. We study God's word verse by verse as best we can to glorify God, to understand him the best we can. Uh, Just like you would not just read a part of a letter from your loved one, you would read it all to get the context. And so do we with the scriptures. And hopefully it's good for you. Although I told our Sunday school class this morning that I've had other pastors who are starting Mark. And the first question they ask is, Pastor, how long has it taken you to go through the book of Mark? And I always give that silent, dramatic pause. I'm like, we're going to be shy of three years by the time we're done. And they look at me like, we're going to do it in a year. And I say, good luck and, and go with that because there's so much here. It's so good. Anyway. Good stuff. You got it there. Today's title is God on Trial, Mark 14. And, you know, there's a story told about the prosecuting attorney in a small town who called an old lady of the town up to the witness stand in a particular case. Her name was Mrs. Jones, and he approached her and he said, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she said, why, yes, I do know you, Prosecutor Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a little boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat, you manipulate people, and you talk behind their backs. You think you're rising big shot, but you haven't had time to realize that you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher, Mr. Williams. So yes, sir, I do know you. And the lawyer was stunned, and so not knowing what else to do, he pointed across to the defense attorney and said, Mrs. Jones, do you know him? Why, of course, I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a young little boy. I used to babysit him, but he too has been a disappointment to me he's lazy he's bigoted and he has a lot of problems and he can't build a relationship with anyone he's too prideful and his law practice is one of the shoddiest ones in the entire county yes I do know him and at this point the judge wrapped the gavel and said to get the courtroom to silence and in a very quiet voice looked into the microphone and said if either one of you ask her if she knows me you're both going to jail and <laughs> I love that don't you uh, Dave, I thought of you 100% because this is right up lawyer joke alleyway as it goes. You know, there you go. But there are many famous trials. We don't know what that trial was. It's a fake story. But in the history of things, there are many trials with many ups and downs, are there not, that have happened. And from Socrates but in the Greeks uh, being on trial for, for teaching things, to Saddam Hussein, to all the trials we've had in the last 10 years here that have captivated us. Many, it's hard to believe. It's been 26 years since a white Bronco drove down an interstate in California. Uh, and if I need to fill you in on what that is, I'm getting older and you're getting, well, you need to figure out what that is. It's a, well, I'll leave it be. But no trial has captivated us, has it not, like the trial of Jesus of Nazareth in AD 30. In the night and the morning before his death, Jesus stands trial six times, three times under the Jewish courts, three times under the Roman courts. And it's a reminder to us about these proceedings, what Proverbs 20.10 tells us. It reminds us in that verse that false weights and unequal measures, the Lord detests them both and, and double standards of every kind. Because we're going to get into a, a trial that is so imbalanced, so unfair, so just nuts as far as a legal standard goes, even in those days, by the law, that we're going to look at it and say, how could something like this ever happen? And yet we will remind ourselves that this trial teaches us that God is in control. And even in the greatest injustices in the world, even with the shammiest trials of them all, Christ is in control and that has always been the plan and so what does the sham of a trial teaches about who God is who we are and what we're called to do and is it okay to in some sense to question God they don't recognize him as such up front but he will tell them very clearly who he is is it okay to question God and we'll get to that briefly for a moment and then finally is it okay to reject God as they did and what that means for us This morning, the the idea, the big idea is very simple. At Jesus' first coming, he stood trial before the world. But at his second coming, the world will stand trial before him. And that's what we know to be true. No one will suffer as much injustice as the Son of God as he is spat upon, beaten, crucified, yet by his very creatures. And let's be clear here God hates injustice. He hates those things that demean his name, and he loves the fame of his name, and he will not be still, he will not be silent, but at the same time, there's a proper time when that will happen. And may we be reminded, whatever we face on this earth, we will be standing with the King of kings and the Lord of lords on the day of judgment. You have nothing to fear. Praise God for that. John sixteen thirty three says, in this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So two questions to clarify who we are and who God is this morning, very clearly. First, who are we to reject God and who are we to resist God this morning? Because guys, this trial is a a hot mess. It is a hot mess. And when we look at this, you could think of no other ending for the Son of God, could you? Because the world is a hot mess. It's a sinful, hot mess. And the only thing to rectify it is for Jesus to die. I want to dig deep in this trial you know this episode well, but you haven't read Mark's account like this probably in a while, so I want to dig deep into that with the one purpose, that we remind ourselves how gracious a God we have, how amazingly patient of a God we have, and how God is the only true God. If you're able to stand with me this morning. Will you join me in standing for the reading of God's Word as we honor the Word, word of the Lord this morning? And I'll just be starting in verse 53, reading down through verse 65 from the ESV, the Pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord, the inerrant, inspired, infallible, sufficient, authoritative word of God. Jesus says, uh, it says here, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. That's the Sanhedrin, by the way. And verse 54, And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For verse 56 says, For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I'll destroy the temple that is made with hands, and in three days I'll build another not made with hands. Yet, verse 59, even about their testimony, they did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And verse 62, Jesus said, I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his clothes or his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him, to cover his face, and strike him or hit him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with many blows." It doesn't get more intense than this, does it? But let me remind you that this this is the start of a long, almost 12-hour day for Christ from around midnight until he passes away close to high noon. And I'll remind you of this. Jesus uh, didn't stay on that cross because the Romans nailed him there. He stayed on that cross for his glory and for our good and our salvation. And what a joy this is. And we'll break this down. It should remind us of what a great sacrifice that we have. Let's pray together as we start. Father, as we come before you, we thank you so much for the grace that is ours in Christ. Father, this message is, is that, that same as the old hymn says. It's the old rugged cross. Old in the sense of time, but Father, always refresh and new because your mercies are new every day and we need this gospel every day. Father, saved as we are, we need to be reminded that uh, positionally we are secure in Christ. But sometimes, Father, we get off kilter with our relationship with you, just as we do with others. And, Father, may this big gospel and the trial that it leads to, Father, be a reminder to us how great your love is. May the love of Christ never get old. Father, thank you so much. Give us wisdom now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, as we come to the first point this morning and asking these two clarifying questions, I want to look at this. This will cover the majority of these verses, but who are we to reject God? And I had it here earlier, and we had some good staff discussion or or good pastoral discussion uh, over over Facebook. That's how we communicate. We're so cool, aren't we? Uh, We use Facebook to communicate these days. That's actually not cool. Instagram is the new cool, plus whatever else comes out every second. But we came to the conclusion, that the question here, I, I had who are we to question God, but I think the better word here, and I appreciate Pastor Nelson with his clear uh, edifying comments here, is to reject God. These people are coming before the Lord that they are supposed to be worshiping, and yet they are going to reject Him. They're going to reject Him to a point where they don't even know who He is. Even after He says these things, they don't want anything to do with it. So I want to just put up there for you, as we get into this, what Mark has done, and John does this a lot. There's a lot of black and white, line-in-the-sand stuff. John is going to show you who is Christ and who who is with Christ and who is not. He's going to put that line in the sand. You are looking at people who do not know Jesus Christ. And just be reminded, and I'm going to say this time and again, non-Christians will do their non-Christian thing, right? Just like a cow's going to moo and just like a horse is going to say nay. They're going to do their thing. So, as you get into this, you're going to be appalled once again at the injustice towards the Son of God, but this is naturally what they're born to do. Pastor Nelson prayed about this. We naturally hate the Lord, but friends, be reminded of that. This was all the plan, yet Christ loved us. Let's get into that first point. Who are we to reject God? First, I want you to see, and it's not up on the screen, but I'll give you the subheading here. This only happens under the cover of darkness. This only happens under the cover of darkness, verses 53 and 54. You notice there that they led him to the high priest. It's about 1 to 3 in the morning. They've arrested Jesus, and now, legally, they're going to the high priest. There's two high priests, by the way, at this point. There's a guy named Annas, and there's a guy named Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the uncle, Annas is the son-in-law. Legally, Annas is the high priest, but the Romans did their Roman thing and appointed Caiaphas. Uh, But the law required just one. And they happened to live in the same house. How can two high priests live in the same house? That's like two presidents living in the same white house. That doesn't quite work, does it? But that's what happened. Caiaphas was described by one ancient historian as rude, sly, manipulative opportunist bent on his own way. And so as they come together, you have a picture of a man as Jesus stands with his first Jewish trial before Caiaphas as someone who is there to meet. So why are they meeting in the palace? I mean, of all things, when they meet in the courtyard? This is a public man. He's done public ministry. Why are they doing this? Well, they're meeting in secret partly because what they're doing needs to be secret for their purposes, but it's also the middle of the night. They need light. They need a place to congregate. And this palace had a large second floor where all these people could come together. You notice that in verse 55, don't you? It said they came together as a council. This is the Sanhedrin. They come together as Pharisees, as Sadducees, as elders, as scribes, and the high priest, forming a 71-person council called the Sanhedrin. And so as he comes before them, you see very quickly from the offset that this is going to not turn out well for Jesus. This is not well. He is bound. He's defenseless. He's at the mercy of their injustice. And this is exactly what they are going to do. Let me remind you again. The spoiler alert. Don't you love when people spoil things for you? That's why you never read movie reviews before you see the movie. Spoiler alert, folks. People who reject the gospel because they live the way they want to live. There was a time in our country where everybody was kind of nice, wasn't it? There was a time where guys would open the door for girls and, you know, whatever else that that people wouldn't speak ill of other people. You know, it happened, but it wasn't okay to do it. Friends, those days have been gone for years from America. Spoiler alert. Non-Christians are going to act like non-Christians. You should not be shocked by anything you see on the news anymore, should you? Because non-Christians are going to do their non-Christian thing. But here's the great thing. As darkness grows, it cannot overcome the light. God is doing great work in this world. I spoke to all of our missionaries that we're going to hopefully have back here on September 29th. That's a plug, by the way. Uh, This Sunday, next month, potluck, missionaries coming to speak. With every scandal, with every shooting, with every new betrayal, America's churches are becoming more relevant. Did you know that? Well, Darren, if they're becoming more relevant, where are all the people? Friends, God said that there will be those who reject Christ. This is not a popular message. But this week, I can tell you in the office, our, our office manager, Judy, has, has ministered to people just being the office manager, taking phone calls and dealing with people that way. So many of you have done that this week. But nothing will cut through the darkness except the gospel, prayer, and Christians who want to take seriously the Christian stuff. Because you know what? You're always going to have people doing stuff like this. Always until Jesus returns. Judge Judy had nothing on the Sanhedrin. Let me put it that way. People's court had nothing on the Sanhedrin. There was no balance of law. And so you see there then in verse 54 that Peter followed at a distance. Did you notice that? Peter's following along. Why would he do that? I mean, he was just in the garden. He ran away. We know that back in in, in the verses from last week. But it says that Peter followed at a distance. This is under the cover of darkness. They're using darkness for darkness' sake. Peter's trying to follow the light of the world, Jesus, in darkness. And that same word here, uh, at a distance, is the same word used when when Lazarus in Luke 16 looks up to Father Abraham in, in, from hell up to heaven. And it's the same word as the women stand at a distance from the cross. He's quite a ways away. And the two disciples, they go right into the courtyard. Most commentators think that John, the apostle John, had an inside connection to the temple. So Peter and John in another account are there. They're right there in the courtyard, and Peter's going to do his Peter thing. Peter's cold. So Peter goes up next to the officers and starts warming up his hands. That couldn't have been awkward at all. They were just hunting this guy, and Mark is going to get into that next week, but you see right away this lesson that distance from Jesus, and Amy will put this up. It's on the same slide, Amy. Distance from Jesus is too often a preview of denying Jesus distance from Jesus is too often a denial from denying Jesus. That when we say I don't need that local church, I don't need that Christian connection, I'm good by myself. Thank you, pastor. I don't need any other Christians around me. We are in the same boat in some sense what Peter did. Look, every local church is flawed. Every local church has a chief of sinners they call him the pastor. And every church has something in their church that would make people say that happened there? Yes. But the church is the ark of salvation. Climb aboard even if some of the animals stink from time to time. Amen? Because guess what? We all stink. And we all need that reminder. Peter is following at a distance, and he is following and showing. But some people say, well, I can't follow because those people don't take Jesus seriously. Oh, you know what? Are you always a Chiefs fan or are you only a Chiefs fan when they win the Super Bowl? And that when was the last time that happened? Fifty years ago? Just saying. College football fans, you Jayhawk fans, oh, your best time of the year is coming up. It's called the next 12 weeks of your football schedule. It's great. It's great entertainment for the other team, but we'll leave that there. Stay close to your local church. Stay close, active in fellowship. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. Peter tried to get as close as he could, but he folded like a house of cards because he wasn't connected as he should have been connected. So it happens in the cover of darkness. They reject him in the darkness, both Peter and and these Sanhedrin. The second thing I want you to see is this happens under the cover of deceit. Look back at verse 55. Even from the very get-go, it happens under the cover of deceit. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against him. They're trying to drum it up. They're doing everything they can. It's the same crowd that'll say, crucify him, crucify him. They want to put him to death. And it's the same word here used in Mark 13 that they want to put him to death that is used in Mark 13 when Jesus said parents will rise up or children will rise up against parents and put them to death. But it's also the same word that's used in Romans 8 that you're called to put those things of the flesh to death. So death can be both a positive and a good thing. The point is, is that the unconverted will always be at odds with things of the Spirit. Don't try to entertain them. Be careful and they couldn't find any. They couldn't find anything. It's not a surprise to you. Even the demons cry out, he's holy. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. There's no skeletons coming out of the pure, holy, sinless son of God's closet. Amen? And that's good for you. And many, verse 56, were giving false testimony. They try, you, you, all, you all haven't done this before, right? They, they, they tell one lie, and then they got to make up another lie to cover that lie. And then when someone pokes a hole in in lie 2.25, they got to go back to 1.27 to cover 3.1. You know, it's just like this. It's all over the place. And one of the principles of courtroom justice is that true witnesses speak true words. But Jesus has no advocate here, physically. He he has no one to say mistrial or no one to say injustice. So verse 57, it just keeps going down, this deceit in darkness, they're rejecting him. Verse 57, it goes on to say that they did not agree. And he stood up, verse 57, some stood up and bore false witness against him. Boop, 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 boop. Hot air, 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 hot air. It really is like watching an episode of Judge Judy, if you ever get get entertained by that at 4.30 on on the local TV station, after Jeopardy, I think, one of those. (laughs) It's just just people being people. They're going to do what they're going to do. And then one of them says in verse 57, and I want you to catch this, because don't miss this. These unconverted, God-rejecting, deceitful, cover-of-darkness people caught what Jesus said to them. Look at verse 57. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, saying, we heard him say. Stop right there. They heard. When someone tells you that, oh, I've never heard the gospel, friends, God has been screaming the gospel since day one of Genesis. From the day of creation in their hearts, they have stood condemned before a holy God. And yet these men knew something. They got a little mixed up, and it had been three years, but one of them said, I will destroy, he heard, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple in three days and build another in three days. Is that what Jesus said? John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answers them, destroy this temple, referring to his body, and in three days I will raise it up. This had been three years ago, yet that's the best they could do, was pull that out. It had been in their head and their noggins, and they processed what he said, and now they pull it out of the file of their minds. But Jesus wasn't talking about that. He was talking about his body. Friends, what a reminder to us that the devil uses the word of God against truth. John eight forty four. Satan is the father of all lies. And one of the devil's slyest tricks is getting a Christian to use a Bible verse to justify disobedience. Let me give you a practical example. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 reminds us that we are not to forsake the assembling together of others for we're going to encourage one another as long as the day is called today because the, the day is coming near. And many people will say, well, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be a part of a body. Well, I can just, as long as I have my Bible and as long as I can sing a song to myself, I'm good. That is using... Bible verses to justify your disobedience or let's pick another example someone says well uh, I'm told to share the gospel and they get up there and they're as angry as angry could be you know that face Uh, I you know our kids do that face sometime how do you feel I'm just happy thank you very much (laughs) boy that puts a new spin on that definition doesn't it how do you are you mad And you you get that thing. And someone takes the gospel with that attitude. They they want to share the gospel, and they get out, and they just bullet people down with the gospel truth. And there's no love in their hearts, and they do those things. Well, the Bible says to share the gospel. Yes, it does, but it says to do it with gentleness and love and humility. The devil uses the word of God against the truth, and these men had remembered something. Don't think non-Christians are absolved from what they hear. The gospel is ever before people. They may not be able to put all the details together, but internally, by creation and by God's Word, it is there. And the devil hates every man and woman who follow Christ to the point where it looks silly to us. Because even verse 59 says, and and Mark records this, verse 59 is very clear on this, yet even they didn't agree about the testimony that they had. Dave, I'm going to pick on you again. I don't know any lawyer worth their salt who saw that kind of holes in those cases who wouldn't win the case for their client if they were defending Jesus because they had nothing on him to this point. It's a, it's a silly house. So why is this a mockery? Amy, if you just want to put all six of these up for those taking notes, that would be great. Why is this a mockery? Well, several reasons, and why is this deceitful? Several reasons, and, and this is just straight out of the Jewish law. I, I to be honest, I never really looked into this until I studied it this week. Heard some of it, but never really put it on paper. Why is this a mockery to Jesus? First, this had to be public. This trial, according to the Pharisaical law, capital punishment had to be public. It couldn't be done in private. You couldn't take Jesus to a back room like they did. That's why this is a mockery. Second. No trial with the death penalty was spo- supposed to be conducted at night. I, they value sleep. They value rationality. Third, why is this a mockery? Because no hearing with the death, death penalty could be done over a holiday. what we would call a holiday weekend or a festival weekend. Well, remember, the Passover is happening right now, right? So these guys are having the first two against them. Then they're breaking number three. And number four, no arrest. The Pharisee said no arrest could happen if there was a bribe. Well, 30 silver pieces later, we are here. Number five, no defendant was supposed to incriminate himself. The case was supposed to show him guilty or not. And here's the really interesting one, guys. According to the law, the Bible, or the the Pharisaical law, you could not be put to death or pronounced put to death until three days after the announcement was made. They needed a cooling-off period. And yet, this religion, at its all-time worst, there was no repentance. They were rejecting God, they were rejecting His Word, and they were rejecting the very things that He said to do. This is why this was a sham. The unconverted will always rise up against true believers that suffer in persecution. Friends, they rejected God. They rejected God. There's no other way to put it. Christian, if you ever go to trial because of your faith, and who knows if that'll happen here or abroad someday, could, may not, who knows? That's in God's time and providence. If you go to trial, you better expect the same treatment. Well, I'm an outstanding member of my community. I pay my bills. I've been faithful to my wife all these years. Doesn't matter. If the perfect son of God suffered persecution for standing up for truth, Christian, you better expect that as well. Church, we better expect that as well. They may not be coming out and beating on the doors. They may not be coming through, but you better believe that that's what happens when you stand up for truth. Third thing here, and we're almost done with this point. They've had the cover of darkness, the cover of deceit, and now verses 60 and 61, the cover of doubt. Look back at verse 60 if you have your Bible, your tablet, your smartphone, or your brain. uh, Wherever you're pulling it out, here it is, verse 60. He says, and the high priest stood up in the midst. This is Caiaphas. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? Hey, let's stop right there. I hate, you guys are probably, I hate this too. Si- awkward silence makes us nervous, does it not? Smartphones, they're addictive, right? They are. And when we can't reach for our smartphones, some of us, and I'll include myself in that, when our smart watches aren't being smart because the smartphones aren't very smart, and you do all that stuff, and you're just sitting there and, You can't really do anything, and you're just kind of fidgety, and you're all those things. It's awkward. It's quiet. That's how this high priest felt. He had tried every which way for him not to be connected to this false trial. So he finally steps in. It's silence, and he breaks out and says, have you nothing to say? Have you nothing to say? Verse 60. What about these things? And look at verse 61, guys. But Jesus remained talkative. Jesus got down on his knees. Jesus remained silent. Isn't this what Isaiah 53 prophesied? That at the death of Christ, he would be like a sheep before it shears. He'd be quiet. He'd be silenced. Let me remind you that God is sovereign over injustice. He even uses it. But he is not himself unjust. Just because there's wrong stuff in his domain does not mean he is wrong. And when God is silent, do you know what that means? In the Bible, it usually means there's judgment to happen. There's judgment coming. And so he is silent here. He could do a whole bunch of things, but because of us, for his glory, he was silent. God, he had been speaking for three years and they didn't listen. What more could he say that he could convince them right there in that moment? It's kind of like when you have a child or you have someone who's under discipline for whatever reason. You can, you can try and rationalize with them. You can point out, hey, dude, this is what you did. But at the end of the day, they're going to be mad because you pointed out whatever it is they did. They don't care about the evidence. They know they're guilty. They just don't want to be caught. And so as he stands before them, the silence falls. And this injustice is something that is, is just going to weigh on them. He kept silent. Jesus remains at full peace only his father could give him. It's a silence of unwavering trust in his Father. It's a silence of his ignorance. Isaiah 42.2 says, not, uh, not a cry out or a raise a voice or make his voice heard in the streets. Isaiah 53.7 that I mentioned, he's like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus is dying in our place, silent as he is. And that always means that judgment is coming. Verse 61, they begin to question him. They begin to doubt him. They say to him in verse 61, but he remained silent. Again, the high priest asked, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? Are you really going to have the gall, Jesus, to claim that status? Look at where you are now. Where's your miracles, buddy? Where's all that, that wine you made? Where's all those sick people? Where's that crowd that loves you? You're in our house now, Jesus, and let me tell you, you got nothing. Their questions to him were raised about doubt of who he is. Christian, is it okay to doubt, is it okay to question God from time to time? We need to make a delineation here. It is okay from time to time to be like the psalmist and say, Lord, where are you? God, I don't understand this. God, why did this happen? God, what about this? What about that? That's okay in its own right. But to question God when he's revealed to you who he is and what he's about and what he stands for, that is wrong. That is wrong. You know, it's been 12 years ago, and it's been a while since I shared this, but some of y'all remember when YouTube first came out. It's hard to believe that thing's 12 years old, YouTube. They had a challenge up there. People would take their smartphones like this, and they would say something. They'd take take the first selfies. You may not remember this. It was called the Blasphemy Challenge. Do you remember this? They would take a picture of themselves, and they'd look in the camera and say, I blaspheme against the Holy Spirit of God. And then they'd put that online, and they'd make a big mockery of it. And over 300,000, 400,000 people made videos. They're still out there. Type Blasphemy Challenge on YouTube, and you'll see videos that are like 12, 13 years old. Because these people were questioning the very nature of who God was because they reject who he was. That is the questioning that is wrong. Christian, if you're struggling with why your spouse died, a child died, why injustice is in the world, you are just simply doing what the saints have done through all the years. It doesn't become sin until you start to question and cross the line that God isn't good, faithful, and just. That's where that line is. You're going to face things in your life, if you haven't already, that are going to make you say, God, I got nothing. What do I do with this? But at the end of the day, he's holy as he. Holy Is he. All right. Let's get to the second part. They reject him. Let's close with this. Who are we to reject God? But secondly, who are we to resist God? Christ is given that question. Christ is thrown out that question. Are you the son of the blessed one? And in verse 62, he said, I am and you will see the son of God seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. That is like going into 1935 Jewish, uh, 1935 Nazi camps and saying that Jews are made in the image of God. You could just see the, the, the bomb blowing up. You knew what was happening. The other accounts of this, there are some other questions from Matthew and other accounts. But, but Jesus here is doing exactly what he came to do. He's quoting to them Daniel 7, 13, and 14. And, and in every situation, doesn't he go back to Scripture? He, it says there, the Son of Man will be sitting at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds. You will see him. You will see him. Every knee shall bow that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Nothing he could have said more enraged than what he just said. He so openly and boldly told the truth. And friends, we must do the same. Christian, count the cost. Count the cost of speaking the truth of God. When you post that truth of Scripture on Facebook and and someone defriends you because of that, are you okay to count the social media cost, as silly as that may sound? Are you okay at the dinner tables, as awkward as it is, when you share the truth of Christ over the months and your family comes together and everyone else kind of stands over here and you wonder why and then God reminds you that, yeah, you talked to them about Jesus and they still don't like you for it. We must be bold with the truth of God's Word. Parents, you must be bold with the truth of God's Word with your children. Grandparents, you must be bold with your grown children about the truth of God's Word who've gone wayward. Church, we must be bold with everything about the Word of God. Amen? Because it is the word of God. But you notice there, he answers exactly as he should have. This is the first time in Mark's gospel he's openly declared who he was. The only other time he said it was in Mark 6 when he said, It is I, do not be afraid. And a- a- In Mark 13, other, he said others would say, I am he. This is the first time in Mark's view that he has put this out there. That's huge because it's coming. Friends, we must be as brave as our Savior was. And you notice there in verse 62, you notice the reaction, the theatrical reaction. Verse 63, and the high priest tore his clothes. I always think this is my forgive me. This is my little mind. This is how my mind works. I picture Hulk Hogan, you know, in a in a in a in a ring somewhere where he takes the singlet and he goes, "Raw, oh, I'm Hulk Hogan." You know, that's kind of the feel here. It's dramatic. It's over the top. It's for the Oscar award. He, they're mad, no doubt but the, he tore his garments as a sign of anger, and he did so quickly, He says, "What?" the high priest says, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? If Jesus is not the Son of God, then he is guilty, the high priest is, for all these false things they've said. But Jesus has spoken the truth, and they all condemned him to death. They can't resist this God. But I want you to note something here. Luke 23 tells us, you remember that guy Joseph of Arimathea? Do you remember that guy? The guy who, who, who laid Jesus to rest in his own tomb? Luke 23 says he's already left. So when they give consent, when this whole council of all these high-ranking people give consent, Joseph of Arimathea is not there, and most likely Nicodemus, who came to him in John 3, is not there. Because they know these, these other Pharisees, these God-fearing Pharisees who believe in Jesus know they're standing, when they're standing with Jesus, they're standing with the only sinless one. They're standing in the very presence of God himself. And let me remind you, and Amy will put this up, please, that truth usually rides in the minority. It usually rides in the minority. But we're a Baptist church, and we vote in the majority. Pastor, how does that work? Great question. Great question. Come to the bylaws group at three o'clock. We'll do. It'll be a lot of fun, and you can figure that out for us and with us. Amen. You all are so excited to join that meeting at three o'clock. We come on down. But look, truth rides in the minority most likely. Is there no doubt that last year, that Legionnaire Ministries, and many of you remember this, Legionnaire Ministries, about this time around Labor Day last year, they put out a survey. Uh, that asks the basic theology questions. And by the way, this is a plug. Next week, we're going to hand out a basic theology test, and you're going to turn it in anonymously. Is that cool? Does that work good? And we'll have an online version for you techie people. We'll get that out this week. I'm a week behind, but here it is. But Ligonier handed out a theology test to, uh, I think, a sample about 1,000 people. And many people were asked the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is perfectly sinless? And would you know? that over 55% of people said no. How in the world could he ever have been sinless? Truth usually rides in the minority, doesn't it? Friends, if Jesus is not the sinless, perfect one of God, go home. Go watch the royals. Go hope for the best. Go jump off a bridge because your mama said not to do that. Go do whatever you want to do. But if Jesus is not the sinless son of God, we have no hope of eternity. You know that. We know that. Well what if could Jesus have sinned I mean he's a human right? He could have sinned, no he was tempted as we were, but he's always the perfect, holy Son of God don't go there there's a group there are groups and continue to be groups that question that well Jesus could have sinned how do we know he didn't sin? How do we know he they didn't just doctor up the uh, the, the Bible to make it look like he's this perfect picture uh, you know uh, uh, instagram photo ready guy with no blemishes in his life we know this because god says it and that's good enough for me if jesus was not the perfect son of god then we have lost everything so he tears his clothes jesus tells him who he is they condemn him to death and finally you notice there in verse 65 and some began to spit on him the most uh insulty thing you can do we're not talking about a baby gurgling and smiling and, you know, stuff coming down. This is an intentional spat. They blindfold him, one version says, or cover his face, So and they strike him. They hit him. They say, prophesy. What are they doing? They're trying to test him. Well, if you're the son of God, then, then, then predict where the, the swing is coming from. This isn't the Matrix. This isn't some Hollywood movie. This isn't something where they dodge the bullets and do that sort of thing. Jesus is submitting in his humanity to the sovereign eternal plan of God the Father. Other scriptures say, as we know, that he could have called down 10,000 on 10,000 legions of angels, but he didn't. The revelation is very clear. And friends, as Amy puts this up, the last thing, the long-suffering patience of Jesus is overwhelming to me. It should be to you as well as it is. And this should be how we treat others. Let me be very clear. Jesus is more than an example. Jesus is more than just a good person. He's a Savior. He's Lord. He's all those things. But in this example, we see in the midst of being mistreated how we should be treating others. Christian, you're not a doormat. God gave you a backbone. Live with that. But there also comes a time for the sake of the gospel that arguing and fighting are not going to get you anywhere except the consequences for standing up for Jesus. Let it be. Because you know the sooner, I I watched a Christian missionary in China, actually a a Chinese native missionary the other week on YouTube, and he said, you know, every time they come knocking on my door and asking if I'm a Christian, I just agree with them and say, hey, Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. And you know what? They throw me in jail. And you know what? I get out sooner than if I fight them or try and hide it. That's an interesting strategy. How's that working out for you? And he goes on to say that he's had more opportunities in jail to share the gospel openly because they're all criminals and they're all in there for something than he has just to simply get up from his pulpit and have a canned sermon because they have to be canned sermons in China. I thought That's really interesting. So when someone asks you at work, are you a Christian? No need to hide it. Just be upfront about it. Don't be a bold dog about it, but just say, look, I love Jesus. I believe he died for me. He was patient with me. And, and look, you may have questions. I don't have all the answers. I'll look them up for you. But you know what? I want to be patient with you even when you don't like what I stand for. How much more should we do so? At Jesus' first trial, he stood before them. At Jesus' second, they will stand before him. Let's pray as we close this morning. Father, as we come before you, Lord, it is a, it is a great reminder to us that you are Lord and we are not. Father, it's a great reminder to us that, that Lord, we, we would never have been able to stand as, as your son stood in that moment, held up by divine grace, held up by the, uh, the will, Lord, of you that sent him to this world. Father, we would, we would cower at some point, I'm sure, Father, but even in our cowering, you would be glorified. And I thank you for the perfect son of God, the sinless son of God who never sinned. He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. First Peter 2 says, Lord, that he did so in silence for our salvation. Lord, be glorified through that. Father, next week we look at Peter. We see the man that we know so well who denied him so quick. But, Father, I thank you that there is grace upon grace for even that. Father, as we think about this world, there's so much we look at and say, wow, how could that happen? But, Father, we trust in your goodness. We trust in your grace. But, Father, we pray for those who question you to an unholy sinful state who reject and resist the very work you're doing in their hearts. Father, may it not be like the days of Meribah, where at that time they rejected you, as Hebrews says, but may they have soft hearts according to your grace. Father, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name.